I now have the luxury of, you know, having a choice where for them, it was about survival. Mm. It was like, fuck love. I'm here to put food on the table. So I'm sorry, I can't do both kind of thing, you know? So I think for, for myself, I'm trying to figure out how do I become a parent that provides my son with things that I, I didn't have, but also still carry um, the good stuff and the culture and uh, the things that I was able to at least pick up onto him, but then make sure that he feels loved and that he doesn't need to prove anything else to anybody outside of our family, you know? And I think that's maybe just the foundation because I think going back to our, 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 our close family members that made an impression on us, like I want him to be, I want him to always remember that he's going to be loved and he doesn't have to sell himself out, mm. get love from other people. Mm. Right. Maybe that's the beginning of becoming, you know, what that next generation is in this society. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adblock with Jason Dwayne Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time that tests all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad blocking is a podcast, a safe space, where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising. Stories of growing up, coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. In today's episode, I speak with one of my best friends, Ben Shi, current director of global agency development at Integral Ad Science, former brand leader at Unilever, Pizza Hut, Cover FX Skincare, and agency lead. At Google. Ben and I met during my time at Horizon Media and built the bond that's been unshakable. In our conversation, Ben's introspection, humanity, and focus inspires us all to take a closer look inside, to interrogate what is our purpose and what legacy we want to leave in this world. If you've ever met Ben, you've walked away knowing that you encountered a great human, a caring man, and someone that values the harmony of relationships. Ben inspires me to be better today, and I hope this conversation does the same for you. And with that, let's dive in. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah, yeah, it's always I a pleasure. It. I mean, the you know this. I guess I'm calling this a podcast, but it's not really a podcast. It's just really. I mean, I'm just hoping that we can all have a sort of time capsule of what was on our mind in the middle of what has been a really wild year. You know, so I mean, 
that's why I thought it would be great to just kind of catch up, you know, and, yeah. and for, for me and you, man, like when we chat, I mean, we, you know, we're pretty vulnerable, honest with each other, you know? So I, I, I was thinking about it and I go, if, if other people could hear some of the vulnerability that me and you have in talking to each other, great. And even if other people don't hear it, if, if, if just you and I can just reflect on, you know, what we've experienced this year, man, and, you know, how we've grown and adapted and evolved, I just thought it would be a fun journey, man. So uh, thanks for, thanks for participating. Yeah. man. Absolutely. And it's, it's always a, it's always fun kind of chatting with you because I think there's, there's part of, um, I guess, a vulnerability that you bring to the table that it's easily it's easy to match right it's easy to be like okay yeah let's let's talk about that because i think there's a lot of um thoughtfulness that you bring it's and it seems like from everything i've seen everything you do you know there's like a deep reflection of it and i think that's why if you remember back in the day when we we're in chicago i want i asked you like what are the books that you're reading right because there's something that is like just feels like the wheels are turning and there was like, there's something there. Like, I want that. So I was just like buying the first five books that you, you sent <laughs> just to so, start getting, kind of get into the mindset. And like one of the simple ones, like The Art of War. Yeah, I was yeah. like, man, I would have never thought to pick up this book. When you start reading through it, you're like, oh, some of these still apply to like everyday life kind of thing. But you have to kind of like find the way to piece it and apply it, you know, but that was not like a book that I <laughs> would think that, you know, it'd just like a, a self-help or anything kind of, kind of that kind of nature. But even when I was going through, I was like, oh, I can see like this being a book you just pull off the shelf, kind of go through and be like, ah, that's how you kind of like take care of that situation or something. So anyhow. I think it's just like, for me, um, I mean, this is probably something that I shouldn't be too open about, but I'm always second guessing myself and I'm, I'm always thinking that there is a better way, you know, even, even, even if I do, even if I execute something at work or in life or in my friendships, I always feel like there's probably a better way to do this. So um, I don't know if it's going to drive me nuts or, make my life better but i'm always looking for new sources of inspiration and like it's actually a pretty cool place to start with you like even just sources of inspiration because the one thing i know about you i mean you're a big sports fan that's for sure you know and i am as well and one of the things that's really inspired me this year it'll start off about sports, but it really doesn't have much to do with sports. One of the things that's really inspired me this year is kind of watching how sports leagues have addressed COVID-19, not from a sort of infection or disease perspective, but much more from like a culture perspective and responsibility perspective. And the NBA has actually really been a source of inspiration for me, to be quite frank. And I, I, I'd written an article about it on my blog and that they kind of captured three things that I thought were really important for us as humans to think about in our relationships and just how we certainly manage in professional settings, 
the first was how it started to really understand what has become science is this imbalanced impact that COVID-19 has had on communities of color and treating the disease in that way with regards to its talent, creating a bubble and saying, yeah, it's important for us for no one to get infected. But if we see science that suggests that, you know, 90 plus percent of our players in our sort of business uh, is representative of people of color, we're gonna take extreme measures to make sure that that particular set of our businesses protected, right? So they're gonna be taken care of. They're gonna be, they're gonna, they're going to be treated with an extreme level of care because the data suggests that that's what's required, right? You didn't see any other leagues doing that, despite the NFL having a high composition of African American players, players of color. Yeah. I mean, that's not the approach. You know, you look at MLB, Major League Baseball, not the approach. You look at NHL not the approach. So I, I just thought that that was one of the most impressive things. And it really inspired me to think about looking at the dynamics of what's impacting our world and applying some cultural sensitivity to it. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about the NBA that's kind of inspired me too, is it's sort of, I would call it a reflection of its top talent and allowing its top talent to express um, political views in a public format and understanding that these players, they are ambassadors for the brand, but they're also members of the community, right? And I think for me, like one of the things I ask people is like, what's inspired you in 2020? How have you really changed your perspective? And I know it sounds crazy, but the NBA and how they approached this pandemic it did really inspire me and it's inspired me to think about doesn't matter what my role is doesn't matter what my title is doesn't matter how people perceive me i am a member of this community i'm a member of this global community doesn't matter what color you are what background you are and with the right context of course i have a responsibility to speak up i have a responsibility to make it known when there is injustice i have a responsibility to make it known when there are imbalances in how we treat each other. And, you know, in contrast to the NBA, you know, let's not forget the NFL's treatment of someone like Colin Kaepernick. Uh-huh. That's, that's, you know, our memories are so short, aren't they, Ben? They're so short, right? And, and, and now you look at the NFL, and I'm not afraid to say it, you know, the NFL has kind of treated this moment as a marketing opportunity, yep. almost and not really a connected, a human, um, you know, an authentic way to connect with both their customers, because this is a business decision as well, but also the humanity of their talent and their players, which you can argue is their product, right? Right. So it, it, people ask me like, you know, like what's inspired you? Like what's really got you thinking this year? And I'm like, I know it sounds a little bit crazy for me to identify a sports league like the NBA, which isn't perfect, by the way, I'm not saying that. But I think in looking at how we responded to this pandemic, and how decisive yet sort of engaged the NBA was in response to the reality of its community, I thought that is something that was quite impressive, and I hope can be replicated. So it's a question for you, man, like, doesn't have to be about sports, but 
we talk all the time. I mean, if you think about this year, you know, I love to hear about what's inspiring you, like what's in your head, what's, you know, what are you thinking about in terms of what we can learn from all this and how we can sort of improve and be better going forward? Yeah, I think to kind of add on to your point about the NBA though, I think, uh, you know, they, just as you said, they're a business, they're a big company, and it's a little more complicated because they have fans too, right? And they have workers, not just the players, but the, the folks that work at the, the sports arenas, you know, like these people are all part of that community. And I think the NBA made a really conscious decision to bring it to a human level where it was about being um, almost transparent, but also helping the people who are going to be impacted and, and not use them, not trade them off as just like another, you know, dollar that they're going to make part of the organization or to your point, a marketing position or a political position, whatever it is. I feel like they, they had a really good pulse of what was going on. They embraced it. And I think they did handle it the right way because it, it brought the community together. I think in more ways, the fans, the, the community, the basketball community in its own versus you feeling like you were just a piece. And if you didn't play by the rules, you're just going to get pushed to the side kind of thing, you know? So totally. I think, you know, a lot of organizations in these past nine months had to make very similar decisions uh, at different scales, but I think they were faced with very similar things. Um, I think, you know, going back to your question about being inspired, I think, you know, it's very hard to say like a like a an organization or one single person has inspired me, but I, I think that the best way for me to articulate it is like I think every person in these past nine months have been hit with a bag of bricks, mm. you know? And mm. It comes from all over. It comes from mental fatigue, uh, just like you know, doing, doing, doing you having plans and doing that, right? The freedom to do that too. Um, there's all the social injustice that was going on, the pandemic. All these things were coming at once. At at some point, I think every single person was hit by a bag of bricks, maybe multiple times, and you had to make a conscious decision to be aware of what was going on, or maybe there was a, a major shift happening, not with just yourself and within your fam immediate family circle, but with the community, right? Either your neighborhood or the larger community, whatever. But you, I think everyone was faced with that challenge or question and it was dead on in your face. Mm. And I think for me, the best way I can answer that is the people who have inspired me are those who have also embraced these tough times, asking themselves hard questions, right? It's like, we are all absolutely on a journey. And I think as humans, we, we, we're, we're dying for consistency right now, right? We want mm. a routine. We want something to say, okay, things are back to normal. But I think this was maybe more than just a, a, a point in time in our 
in our history or just call it 2020 or whatever, like this could be just a blip or it could be the beginning of a completely different journey for yourself, for your family, right? And I think I'm most inspired by those who have embraced it because I think one of the biggest struggles I've had was, you know, I, I wanted to turn it off. I'm like, what is all this noise and mess? Like, I just want to keep my head on straight, get through the day, maybe get through the pandemic and like go back to normal one day, you know? And I think there's part of that process and journey just be like, okay, this is probably here to stay. It's probably going to be here to stay for a little longer, but it's impacted and left an impression on all of us, no matter what. And I think throughout this time, I'm very drawn to people who are, who have had that self-reflection and maybe the brave, being brave enough to kind of open up and have those di that dialogue, ask those questions, to learn more about themselves, learn about other people, challenge some of the things that I think we were all just part of a it almost felt like we were part of the matrix, right? Mm -hmm. just the same thing, expecting the same results. We want to change, but things were just happening the way they were, but we couldn't break it. We, could, we couldn't stop it, right? This helped us all, I think, in a way, stop it. And now you have a choice. Do you want to continue? Take the red pill, take the blue pill, you know? And I think those who've decided to kind of embrace and move forward through this to become better, the better versions of themselves and help inspire other people. Like, I think that that's what's, you know, been interesting to see when you see different voices and people kind of pop up either on social media or just people in your community or asking very similar questions that you're thinking of. You're like, oh, I want more of that. I don't, I don't want to shut it down. You know, so I think that's kind of my, my response to that, you know, but it's a, it's it's a it's been a crazy ride, I guess, you know. Uh, and I think you know, not even as much as I, I've kind of talked to my immediate family and friends and stuff. Like, not everybody's down to kind of go that deep, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. It's just kind of like you know, everyone's on their own journey. So, well, Mitt, we're going to cover a lot of ground uh, in this conversation. Um, so I need to make sure I pace myself because there's so much that we typically cover. But maybe to build on your perspective of this year and embracing change, I want to maybe just reflect on, you know, how we met and became friends. You know, yeah. we, we we talk about this all the time because it was somewhat unexpected, you know, yeah. uh, us having a very formal, quote unquote, business relationship. And then, you know, taking the time to sit with each other on a number of occasions and approaching business from a human perspective, you know, mm -hmm. there's a beauty in that when, you know, you're working with someone and I'm pretty vocal about this. So what I say next is the opinion of Jason Smith, not of Vince <laughs> I. Um, a lot of what I do, I reflect on it and I go, I ain't saving anybody's life right now, you know? So if it doesn't work or if it's not great, or if it's not a perfect fit, I'm just going to say it, you know, I'd rather do that and have a great relationship than sit here and, you know, pimp some bad idea to a potential partner of mine. And we always built 
a relationship that way. And part of that relationship was your understanding of differences, your understanding of the complexity of the world. And we always work that way. You never look at things in a binary perspective. You know, this is the way it is, or it's not that way. You, you, you were always a sort of investigator, I think, in terms of the, the morals and the righteousness of how people interact. And that's really how we became really good friends. Um, so I just wanted to know, where did that come from, Ben, from your upbringing? We talk a lot about your family, the folks that influenced you. I like to start from just a bit of the early days or major influences that have kind of created this, I almost call it a, a moral curiosity that you have about, you know, how we can all be a bit better together. It comes through in your work, it comes through in your relationships. I know it comes through with your family. And uh, I love to hear about what you think influenced that perspective and the way that you approach the world. You know, it's very funny. I get, I, I've never thought of, I, I never, I guess I never really thought of myself as the way that you uh, uh, summarized, but as you were talking, my, my grandparents kind of popped into my head, you know? Uh, and I think it started really young where, you know, I grew up with my grandparents um, at a very young age, um, away from my parents, and I always saw them as kind of like my my other set of parents, if you will. And um, my my grandfather was kind of like a, a righteous guy, if if that's the the best way to put it. Like, there's always a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I think deep down, I learned to know what that feeling was like to know if I was doing something wrong or if I knew what the right thing, like he helped teach me when I look to, to understand when I'm in a situation, like you know what the right thing and the wrong thing is in your heart. Mm. You need to follow that. You need to do that. That's how you be a better person. And it comes down to very small things. Like I remember one specific thing, like I threw a candy wrapper and I missed the, the trash can, but I just threw it and I walked away and he kind of like, sat me down and he kind of like instructed me he's like no the right thing to do is for you to go pick it up and I remember that I was like maybe only three or four but for some reason that was a very early memory that like someone that I really respected it was always like I need to do the right thing and I think part of that just kind of transpired through relationships and friendships that I had you know I, I think you know as you meet different people of different personalities and different walks of life you know there's always this, this is basic understanding of how, how do you treat people? How, how do you want to be talked to? How, how do you want someone to listen to you? And, you know, I think oftentimes we all learn that very young. Um, and then you also make a decision whether or not that's like something you still want to practice or do or to what extent. For some reason, I guess my grandparents really like made a huge impression on me on that and so if for me it felt natural it felt good i felt rewarded not just by somebody else but because i felt good that i was doing that you know and i, I wasn't compromising um or or doing anything deceitful kind of thing you know um and it, and it made me feel good i felt like i had a good like it, it cleared my conscience like if i keep doing the right thing like good things will come back kind of thing um, and I think part of it is that 
maybe maybe growing up, you know, when I graduated, I moved to New York, I didn't have a job. I knew I wanted to do advertising, but I packed my bags up and, you know, I was like, Let, let's do this. And I was fortunate enough to get into advertising. And I think it, I, that was probably a period of my life where I felt the most lonely because there, there wasn't like my, my friends were, you know, I grew up in Texas. So it's not like everybody came out to New York at the same time. A lot of my friends stayed at home. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know anybody in New York. And I felt like I had to figure out a lot of things on my own. And for some reason, it always came back to let's do the right thing and let that guide you in the decisions that you make, how you work with people, where do you want to work kind of thing. And I, I think maybe combining my childhood to my, my, my years of, I would say like, I guess becoming an adult, becoming a man in New York, those kind of, those things have proven that they, they do work. And sometimes they don't, but at least I felt, felt like I did myself right. And I did the other person right. And maybe just naturally, they just continue to be my thing. Well, you know, one of the things that we share in common is inspiration from our elders, whether it be our parents, our grandparents, and becoming a parent. I mean, that is a game changer because you spend so much time gathering and collecting and searching for inspiration from the folks that raise you and represent sort of this parental guidance for you. And now you have to wake up and find a way to apply it to your world. And it is a game changer. And one of the many things that we bond on is being a dad, being a father, right? I mean, countless discussions about what that means to us and also how it's changed our lives, you know? And so, even beyond the world of COVID and 2020, you know, I would love to get your perspective on how the world as it is today has influenced how you raise your son and how you think about his influence from you as his parent in a time in which Ben, I know I wake up sometimes and I worry about the influences that my sons have in front of them and what it will mean on for them long-term. I'm very proud of my boys. Someone asked me the other day how my kids were doing and I reflected on it then. And I said that I'm very proud of my boys. I'm very proud of my boys. I'm proud of my oldest son. I think I look at him and I'm, this is selfish. My wife, if she hears this, maybe she'll learn something. I look at my sons as I do, as I would look in the mirror. I'm looking for my reflection. I'm looking for signs of me. I'm looking for my imperfections. I'm looking for the things that I'm trying to make better about the world. I'm looking for you know, the values that I have. I'm, I'm constantly searching for that when I wake up and I look in my son's faces, you know? And some days the mirror looks great, you know, some days is, you know, it's a little blurry, you know, but I think they give me almost an, an, uh, a sort of compass of sorts for what I'm trying to get accomplished. And I'm not quite sure that 
if I didn't have my boys during this time, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I would be. I'm, I'm not quite sure how mentally healthy I would be because I think they are essentially my pill, you know? Um, so I just wanted to pose a similar question to you and, you know, how all of this, everything we're experiencing, you know, how was that contributed to the way that you think about parenting and, and raising your, your, your son and, and being the father that you are? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, I, it is a concept. I think I, I think about almost each and every day because of the journey I was kind of talking about, because like, you know, to your point, some days are good, some days are bad and not everything's binary. And like, there's certain things, certain thoughts, certain, certain visions I had for myself before I had a son or before a kid, what kind of parent I was going to be. And then now you're kind of in it, then tack on everything else. It, it, it's kind of like all being challenged at the same time, but you know, there's so much stuff, crap going on social media. And I think for the pandemic, you know, it really, I, I had to check myself, you know, of just like where, who I was and, you know, questions like, you know, what does it mean to be Asian American? Mm. You know, um, my parents are immigrants. They have a completely different they had a different life, a different culture that they brought with them. But what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my son now, you know, as he's going to grow up? And, you know, there's a lot of good from, you know, from a, a lot of folks who are immigrants and the family and the culture that they are able to carry on and, and still be part of, you know, that's a very beautiful thing, you know. Um, but I also think it's very unique to be that first or second generation being, you know, growing up in America and finding your own identity, you know, and finding where do you belong? How do you belong? What's the rule? What are the rules of the game here? You know, because it's not, it's, it, it, it's not laid out for you, you know? Mm, um, mm. And I think there's, my, my wife has uh, called me out a few times, but, you know, I, I would get riled up when I see some stuff in social media and, uh, Sometimes to your point, it is a reflection, right? Like I see myself and I'm almost like, so I, I said to Bradley once, I was like, hey, if anybody disrespects you, the first thing you do, you tell them to stop. But they do it again, you pop in the mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not mm -hmm. something my parents would have ever told me. It would have been put your head down. Don't say anything. Don't make a big fuss. But like, there's something that I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Like, to where, where do you, how do I teach my son to stand up for himself in the right way where, you know, I'm also trying not to project things that, you know, um, may or may not be the best thing to teach a four-year-old, but, you know, I'll be like, tell them once, if they, if they do it again, pop them in the mouth, you know? And mm. <laughs> my wife looked at me and was just like, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> but there, there's part of me that feels like, yeah, man, like, we, it's something I feel like we need to learn or, or needs to be at least discussed. And I'm not saying that the execution was right, but you know, there's, um, there's a lot that I'm trying to figure out with myself to understand my place. So then I can help guide him. Right. I think maybe at the base level is I just want him to feel 
the type of love that he can't get anywhere else. If he can feel fully loved and his cup is full at home, he's not going to go out looking for other things to fill that cup. And I think that's maybe one of the most intentional things I'm trying to work on is giving him undivided attention, give him the type of love that maybe my parents weren't able to do because I now have the luxury of, you know, having a choice where for them, it was about survival. Mm. It was like, fuck love. I'm here to put food on the table. So I'm sorry, I can't do both kind of thing, you know? So I think for, for myself, I'm trying to figure out how do I become a parent that provides my son with things that I, I didn't have, but also still carry um, the good stuff and the culture and uh, the things that I was able to at least pick up onto him, but then make sure that he feels loved and that he doesn't need to prove anything else to anybody outside of our family, you know? And I think that's maybe just the foundation because I think going back to our, 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 our close family members that made an impression on us, like, I want him to be, I want him to always remember that he's going to be loved and he doesn't have to sell himself out, mm. get love from other people, mm. right? Maybe that's the beginning of becoming, you know, what that next generation is in this society, you know? Um, for me, it was kind of like, I couldn't get at home and I needed to get acceptance from other people, my job, my teachers, teammates, whatever it is. So it's almost like you kind of have to pick and choose. You have to make a choice. Are you going to just go along with it so you can be accepted or mm. be the outcast? You know, I'm hoping that one of the biggest pillars is that it's just purely love as, as cheesy as it sounds, the unconditional love that he can get so he doesn't ever have to sell himself out. It, I mean, oh God, Ooh. I mean, the word that comes to mind as you describe this journey that you're experiencing as a father in these times is the word belonging. And I had, I mean, that's the beauty of these conversations is it even makes me think about how I've approached this in a way that I wasn't conscious of, but as I think about my journey and being a parent, one of the things that I think has been difficult for me, but has also given me a lot of strength mm -hmm. is the fact that my kids are biracial. Mm -hmm. My wife is grade A, white American, Irish background. Mm -hmm. And I'm obviously not. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you, man, I can remember a day when we went to pick up curbside pickup for dinner one day. Mm -hmm. And there was a college in the town that we were spending our summer in. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kids had just returned uh, for school. Some schools, you know, if they're private, have allowed their kids to come back. And apparently this school made that choice. And there was a protest from the college students going up the main street in this small town. Mm -hmm. And the protest included children of all walks of life, mm -hmm. and, and they were chanting Black Lives Matter. And it was 
a moment in which I have, I've seen my son over the course of 2020 become much more aware of his mixed background. Mm -hmm. And um, he's questioning the values of that dynamic. He's questioning, which is troublesome, Ben. He's, he hasn't said this, but when I look in him and I hear some of his questioning, I can see him battling, am I supposed to choose a side, you know? And if I am, what side is that? And what does that mean, right? Now I'm proud of him because I think he has come to a place on his own and hopefully by way of great parenting in which we're very clear with him about the disparities in which people of color have experienced in this world and what that means to him. And fortunately or unfortunately, this world is going to see him as a person of color regardless, okay? And so there is a level of preparedness that he will need Mm -hmm. in order to be safe, number one, and to be able to thrive under those conditions. But as we saw those marchers, you know, he asked me, what does Black Lives Matter mean? What does it mean? And there was a moment of pride in which I go, great, I can explain this to my son. But then there was a moment of uh, like a loss of innocence at eight years old. Not that I'm, and some people may listen to this and go, you need to wake up, man. But maybe so. But maybe there was this sort of hopefulness I had that my children and other children, they can learn to grow with each other without that dynamic at an early age, you know? They don't have to start thinking about themselves as being other or do I belong? You know, am I part of this? You know, where do I fit? What side of the table am I supposed to sit on? And I did sit and I explained to him the perspective that I have, which is every human being has the right to safety, the right to prosperity, um, and the right to complete and wholesome freedom in this country. That is what this country is about. However, the reality of that promise isn't equal, isn't fair. And our history has shown us that particularly Black Americans have had uh, an unfair share of that promise. And when we reference Black Lives Matter, what we're saying, son, is not that you being a mixed person in this country and having a very strong and proud heritage of Irish descent doesn't mean that that is an, an extremely valuable part of our world. It doesn't mean that any other life is more valuable than that. But what it does mean is that it's time to stop devaluing mm-hmm. Black Americans. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as I think about it, I'm getting a little choked up just kind of imagining that conversation. But I'm proud of him because I think him being eight years old, and I don't know how it's been with Bradley, my son Aiden, I'm seeing him become more mature because of all this and being having to accept and understand and comprehend, you know, dialogue that isn't typically intended for children this age. Right. And, and, and I do. So I have those conversations been because I don't want my son going into a world in which he's troubled about where he belongs. And so it leads me to a question to you, you know, 
we had a very enlightening conversation to me, you know, about growing up Asian American in this world and what that has actually meant both personally and professionally. And I have so many stories about me being challenged with, do I belong? Am I supposed to be in this boardroom? Am I supposed to be in this classroom? Am I supposed to be treated this way? But I do think, Ben, that the Asian American culture is one that is often misunderstood because of its complexity. It isn't this one whole blanket. Right? That doesn't how this works. And so if you don't mind, I would love to hear about your early childhood or even professional environment in which you've encountered a direct experience with belonging, proving that despite what I look like, despite who I am, I belong. And what that experience sounded like and, and how you approached it to give yourself safety and comfort and that just like anyone else in this world, you have a place, you have credibility um, and how you've approached those situations to give you the confidence that you have today. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think um, very honestly speaking, I think the confidence that maybe I thought I had early on was maybe an illusion until everything that we're facing now has kind of come to light a little more, you know? Um, I think it de this is definitely part of my journey and my, my own opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of all Asians, first of all, but I do think that the Asian community and culture is so complex, right? Like China alone, it's taken them over a thousand years to bring together an entire country of multiple hundreds of languages, you know? But then on top of that, you have the whole, whole Asia region of all countries outside of China, right? So like there's multiple cultures and languages and people that are thrown into the mix. You know, I, I think I recall like kind of growing up and I think a lot of times, you know, Asians are kind of like haters on each other, you know, mm. who's the better Asian country? Who's the, uh, the smarter one? Who's the whatever, you know? Um, so I think in the community itself, it's very complex and bringing people together. And I think definitely as we hopefully come more united, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done to be, to even recognize that we, we do play a significant part in coming together as a community versus I think our culture and maybe even for my parents, you know, there's a lot of like, like just do your own thing, stay under the radar and just mm. like, just literally do your own thing. Don't, don't, don't make any noise that's going to call to call too much attention. You know, I think there was a, there's actually a, a proverb in, a, in, in Japan, I think it's about, you know, the nail that sticks out gets hit first, you know? Mm. So it's very much part, deeply rooted in like how we approach, you know, society. And I think it's different when you're insulated in your own country and then applying that into another type of culture is very different, you know? Um, I think, you know, I knew I, I was different starting in elementary school, standing in line in fourth grade, a friend of mine 
just yelled out, hey, you're a chink. Mm. Everyone was laughing. And I didn't know what it was. And I'm laughing. And then I go home later. I'm like, oh, that's what it meant. Mm. You know? And then I think that was the biggest moment of realization that no matter how much you think you're accepted, you're, you're not. You know, and I think I was blind to that. And I think there's there's the social aspect, right? Um, and through sports, I think there's different things, mechanisms that bring people together. So like through sports, doesn't matter what color you are, but if you're balling out, if you're going crazy and going beast mode, who cares, right? Like mm-hmm. or celebrate what you did, that play, whatever you 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 helped your team win or you you did a great play, like those kind of things. And I think trying to navigate and figure out what are those mechanisms that kind of like put race aside, you know, those were kind of the things I was kind of looking for. And I think that's one thing, you know, kind of growing up, you know, there's some of those things you can find, but they unfortunately don't last forever. You walk into work, corporate life, you know, and that's a whole other type of game, you know, and you know, I, th- I think through this journey, I, I realized for myself, at least, well, at least backing up, I guess, you know, taking a lot of what I shared about, you know, following my gut and doing the right thing. Um, I think on top of that, there's probably a bit of a, you know, I had survival mode coming out to New York. So in terms of like work ethic, you know, tell me whatever you need to do, I- I'm, I'm going to do it, you know, Um and I think combining those two things, doing the right thing and working hard, did they were they were the sufficient tools for me at the time mm. to build the right relationships, um, find the right opportunities, find the right mentors that help guide me in my career. Where, you know, I didn't really have any other person to look up to, right? There there wasn't like you know another uh, Asian American VP that I knew in my office. I could be like, hey man. I, how'd you do this you know Mm, very mm. much like I had to assimilate to the to the team to the to the company that I was in and at the end if I did good work that should give me get me by at least and it wasn't until maybe the pandemic that I'm I'm, it it really helped challenge a lot of these um these these values I guess that helped me get so far but I think a lot of things for everyone has been challenged, right? The things that we thought we were past or normal, uh, they're kind of resurfacing again. And I think for me, as part of that, being an Asian culture, it was almost like, one, I did not realize how much privilege I had, you know? Um, Mm. And even sometimes as I say it, it's kind of weird because I see myself as someone who has gone through um, racism and prejudice and like, you know, been made fun of, you know, stuff, but it made me realize, oh, it's a completely different level. Mm. You know, like you have privilege and you have to recognize that. And then through that, I think it kind of brought together the cultural piece of like this, uh, this whole, whole notion of like model minority, you know, you do good work, keep doing your good work, but shut up when it's your time to shut up. You know, Mm. we don't, well, we'll ask, we'll, we'll, we'll ask for your voice and your opinion when the time is right. But really, it don't matter. Just go do your thing. Do do the thing you're good at, mm-hmm. and that's all. You know, mm-hmm. I think through this time, that ha- that made me realize, okay, the the tools, the 
the, the, the school of thought that helped me get to here um, is no longer going to work. Or you can choose to build more tools, right? Um, and I think for me, the, the sense of belonging was definitely down to the individuals of people, right? And I feel like, you know, a company can have their values and culture set at, a, at the highest level, but really, unless it's practice and you meet people who can actually enforce it, you know, um, it, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just on paper, you know? So I think a lot of the companies that I found that were like more performance-based, maybe those were a little easier. There's another form of mechanism of like the numbers are the numbers, right? Like, so you just go do your thing, you know, it's, it's not, there's no gray behind that. So I think, you know, that's probably a lot, you know, actually, as I'm talking about it now, like a, a big reason why I had so much curiosity of trying different types of companies and different types of roles within our advertising uh, ecosystem, because I was, I was searching for that, to your point, belonging, right? Like, what is this thing? What is this role? Or maybe this, this function that maybe I can find that sweet spot. So I was also always like searching for something. Um, but I think, you know, one of the biggest things, uh, I think it's kind of funny, you know, like I think we can all look at ourselves in our careers and in uh, our personal lives. And I think as humans, we like to compart compartmentalize things, right? Keep things very nicely, you know, bucketed in their own places. And, you know, there's a lot that we learn from work that I wish I, I, I knew early on that I could apply in my personal life. Mm. So there's, there's about having like that growth mindset, right? So your, your, your company is always challenging you, like always grow, always over deliver. Like what else are you doing to take that one step further? And I wish I could take that grow, growth mindset earlier in my own personal life, because I think while, while as humans, we want this routine, if, if we're not applying a growth mindset to continue to challenge some of these values in the way of thinking that we, we that worked at one point, but may need to be revisited, like we're not gonna become better people. We're not gonna be better individuals, right? And I think at the end, if you're not good on your own, if you're not loving yourself, if you're not kind to yourself, like you can show up at work and you can do your thing, but how long is that gonna last for, right? Like, I think there's a lot of self care that is emphasized through this for me, at least that, you know, if I can just apply some of this growth mindset that I've been taught so much in the corporation and apply that to my life and keep challenging myself and being okay that I don't know everything or asking the hard questions and embracing it, maybe it'll give me better tools to like be the person, the better version that I'm supposed to be versus trying to keep things very separate. You know, so I think I don't have a perfect answer to that question, but I think it is the journey. But now, now knowing what that maybe newfound destination is supposed to be, I want to use some of these tools to try to make myself a better version. So then it can almost like resemble itself in everything else that I do versus trying to do things very siloed, if you will, in my life. That's when things start crashing, you know? So if anything, that was one of the biggest blessings and of realizations, if you will, through this time is like, you know, I, I need to, as, as much as I'm trying to help my company, my job, my, my, my manager, whoever it is, achieve this, I need to set those goals for myself. And then all those things will, will come into play, you know, so. 
it's um I could keep you forever, but I want to, I want to quickly build on that point and then give you some time to, 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 to respond to maybe a couple more questions before I lose you. But hearing that story about belonging, it brings me to something I've been proud to have more clarity on. Like you said, I don't have the perfect answer to anything in life, but I have certainly gotten closer to what purpose means for me. And that is the benefit I've realized with COVID. I've had a moment to sit with myself more than I ever have before. I've had a moment to look at why I do certain things and what value am I getting out of it? Not sort of material value, but what's the intrinsic value and the legacy I'm going to leave for each decision that I make? Am I going to leave any additional value on earth because I stayed at the office an extra three hours and built some great flow chart for someone? Probably not. Am I going to deliver more value to the world because, I mean, I was able to sell just one more deal to a customer. No, that doesn't mean that that shouldn't be important to me at all. That's how I feed my family. That's how I build my career. But on the other end of it, I'm, I've been able to understand what my purpose is and I'm getting, or at least what it could look like, you know? And again, I don't have the perfect answer. Every day is a learning process. And I hope that's the case until I'm dead and, buried or whatever somewhere else and not on earth but until the day i take my last breath i want to keep learning and that's been the biggest sort of takeaway for me is an opportunity to reflect on what my purpose is why am i here and what things can i be doing every single day to deliver on what that purpose actually is and it gives me a lot of confidence it gives me a lot of confidence in my discussions, it gives me a lot of confidence in the decisions that I make because there's a little bit of a map behind everyone's head when I'm talking, you know? And so I want to be clear with the question. The question isn't about some holy grail of what your purpose is, because we're all figuring that out. But I did want to ask you, how have you thought about the word purpose? over the course of this year and what that means to how you imagine going forward into years to come. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is the, the process of bringing all of the versions of myself into one melting pot, if you will, start breaking down some of those silos and, as I started to do that, the, the meaning of purpose starts to kind of like change a little bit. Um, and I, I think through this, it, it sounds like a no brainer, but I think that's a thing you can say a lot of things, but if you don't really feel it with intention and change your behavior in really doing it, it doesn't really matter, right? So. I think, you know, for me, the purpose or what purpose means for me is really 
what is really going to be like long lasting and bringing me joy in life. And I think there was a lot of growing up through in reflection of as well, just like the things that you thought made you happy wasn't really truly making you happy, nor was it bringing you joy. And I think at certain parts in my life, some of the things that I was chasing after made me actually more depressed and unhappy. Mm. And it made me lose sight. It made me lose almost like um, the ability to focus and appreciate the things around me. And I think where I am in this journey is specifically almost like putting more effort and attention and love to my own family, if that makes sense, you know? And I think people can always say like, and judge and be like, what the hell does that mean? Why, how could you not love your family? And like, it's not about loving or anything. It's literally being present and being present in a way where all the other things that I've been chasing or think that is important doesn't supersede the people that are within the walls of this house. And that also means trying to understand my wife more, listen to her more, understand what my son's processing is and at at different stages, you know, versus, you know, oftentimes, oh yeah, we're just people in the same house, right? Like if anything, being in the pandemic, getting locked in, you're like, you see each other every day and like, you can't escape, you know? Um, And part of that has been a blessing because it's giving me new purpose of what kind of father, husband, brother do I want to be? And it really helped me take some moves that I probably wouldn't have considered before, which was like doing therapy with my sisters, doing therapy with my wife and, you know, and just trying to be like, Hey, like, Maybe we just need some maintenance. Let's yep. just make sure there's nothing there, you know? Um, and sometimes there are, but at least there's there's a line of communication that is like, we're do- I'm, I want to be intentional with doing those things because my purpose is to make sure you're happy and I'm happy in the most genuine, authentic, everlasting way. Not just, hey, we got a really great bonus last year. We should be happy, right? Oh, what trip are we going to take? Yeah, this year we can say we went to somewhere baller and like it's going to be like on instagram like we can we can tell that story but really it didn't really change anything you know so i think there's something about really trying to understand how do i bring that home and keep that at home too like i don't want this to be like my biggest fear is when the pandemic's over and like oh shit everybody goes back to normal like i don't want to go back to normal Mm -hmm. i want to remember these lessons i want to remember these things and further that purpose and i think you know the more i I think truly at the end what matters is the people around you you know and i think life sometimes just gets in the way a lot of things gets in the way um because there are also real life situations and, and issues we have to deal with but as humans you know i think it just reminded me my purpose is not to make more money or have more investments or have more shoes that I can never wear anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the things that made me happy for a very fleeting moment is 
is no longer. And I, I think it, it really helped me re remind me that um, there are things that are, you know, I've taken for granted and I don't want to lose that. It, I, I feel like it's a second chance, you know, mm. and like some mm. people don't get, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. So. Oh, Ben, well, there are so many words of wisdom and your articulation of purpose and how you've approached it. The last question I want to ask you is a question I ask everyone that gives me the benefit of their time, because that's the joy and the gift that I receive in this is your time is, do you have a code that you live by or a mantra of sorts that guides how you approach life, how you approach your relationships, your decisions, um, that you may want to share with the world as a bit of, um, again, uh, a, a code of code of arms of sorts that represents Ben Sai and, and your approach to the world. Um, I think I would have to, I, I think first I, I would humbly say that I'm, I'm still writing what that mantra would be because I think the mantra that I currently have, I'd acknowledge is probably not good enough. You know, I, I make it better, but I, I do think at the end, you know, we're all human. You know, I think we all need a lot of grace. We need, we need a lot of understanding and it's, it's hard to, to dish it out sometimes, right? Because there's just a lot of crap going on. And so I think for me, it's just for now, maybe just keeping it real and try to try to make sure that you're just being a human to the other person on the other side of the phone or Zoom call or whatever, because I think we really desperately need that, you know? Um, but I hope I can make that mantra better and stronger. But I think, you know, that's what I'm trying to do now, I guess. You know?